Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. Let's talk freight. Welcome back, Midnight Freight Broker Nation, for episode 40. Four zero. That's a pretty big milestone. I'm happy to be continuing this podcast and keeping the good word about freight and logistics going. And thanks to everybody for being a continued listener. I love all the feedback I'm getting. I've got a lot of messages from people, a lot of questions, and a lot of good reviews. So thank you very, very much for all of that. So first off here, a quick look at sports before we do anything else, because we're starting to see some changes. So I, I wanted to hit on a couple of things I, I saw up on the uh, up on the internet here recently in, in the news. So Major League Soccer returning July 8th, that's just a few weeks from now, with a 54-game tournament in Disney World. So Disney World obviously starting to reopen themselves. They've got the ESPN World of Sports down there, really awesome facilities. So soccer's getting back into it. I've never been a big uh, follower of, of the soccer community and, and soccer overall as a sport. I know some people are huge on it. Uh, I did get a chance to watch the Women's World Cup. I think it was two years ago. Uh, so, but that's that's about the extent of what I watch when it comes to soccer. But glad to see sports going in the right direction either way. Now, NFL. The latest on that is that they're saying teams can now report 47 days before the first regular season game. So, I think it's a change from an old 14-day rule. Uh, but anyway, that means that the report date for most teams would be next month, July 28th. So, this is a big, big, huge step for the NFL. Everyone's been waiting for it. It's, it's like America's most watched sport. And I know that a lot of folks have just been dying to make sure, you know, is the season going to start? Am I going to be able to go to the games? Well, this is a step in the right direction. We don't know how it's going to pan out. We definitely don't know what the season will actually look like. Time will tell. We got to see how the COVID pandemic pans out throughout the summer here. Uh, Major League Baseball, my favorite sport to watch. Normally, you've got... Well over 150 games, like 162, I believe. And now they're looking at, they're going back and forth. They've said, oh, let's do 100-some games. Now let's do 75. The latest is an 89-game season with a longer playoff schedule. So I'm curious to see how it goes back and forth. The biggest debate there, the players are looking at reduced salaries. They've cut a lot of the minor league players. Um, Either way, I would love to see baseball back as long as the season is long enough for it to actually be worth it and to get a good enough sample size of the team's stats and how they're actually performing. Because a lot of times you've got these folks that they take multi-week-long road trips and they've got three or four-game series. So when you condense it down, I'm curious, are they going to have shorter series? Are they going to have less... Uh, less teams playing against each other. Um, curious to see. But either way, sports is coming back. I believe golf is is getting right back into it too. So we'll see how everything pans out. So today's episode, I've got an article from Freight Waves about some of the, the supply chain lessons learned from COVID-19. And then we're going to get into a little bit on LTL and how it affects brokerage. I've had a lot of people ask about LTL. It's come up a couple of times. So I wanted to have an, a, a conversation about that and just kind of dig into some of the, the key aspects. So first of all, the article from Freight Waves is titled, COVID-19 Reveals Lack of Flexibility, Leadership in Supply Chains. And I want to start off with a quote from Warren Buffett. And I think I've used this quote before, and I might have misquoted it, so I actually wrote it down this time. All right, the quote says, you can only find out who is swimming naked when the tide goes out. Warren Buffett. I love that quote. 
And that can apply in a lot of different ways. I've talked about it when it comes to the stability of your company, its financial readiness, your employment, manning, and all that good stuff. Um, I want to apply that to what we've learned from COVID-19 as far as supply chain overall. So the article reads, and there's three different clips I want to read and then give my feedback. First part is, quote, the COVID-19 pandemic has led businesses to rethink their logistic operations as they bore the brunt of the pandemic while it disrupted sourcing operations. Countries closed their borders and cities as well as entire regions went into lockdown, causing demand for non-essential items to plummet, even as demand for essential goods skyrocketed. Through logistical turmoil of this scale has never been seen before, Actually, I'm sorry, though logistical turmoil of this scale has never been seen before, it reinforces the importance of future-proofing supply chains. I really, really like this aspect of it. So the good thing here, in my opinion, is that things are starting to look better. We're starting to reopen the economy. New York State here, where I'm in western New York, we're in phase two now, and they've even adjusted some of the phase two things, such as um, restaurants. You can eat outside now. Next Tuesday, we expect to go into phase three, which would mean that you can dine inside at bars and restaurants. And that's a big industry in Western New York. So when people are out there spending money at bars and restaurants, that's going to cause an increase in demand for shipment of goods to supply those facilities. So another takeaway, a lot of this comes from my experience with previous companies and with the military, is that I think you always need to learn from the past. So one of my pet peeves has been, you know, whether it's planning something for a logistics company or a freight company, or even in the military with a logistics operation, when people have to plan something and they never look at the lessons learned from the last time it was done, okay? I've seen this done when a company would organize a, you know, an outing for freight agents, right? Or an award ceremony for freight agents. Or maybe there's a, I don't know, a webinar being done, right? Something that is not done every single day, so it's not on the top of everyone's minds, but they, it has been done before. So the key things to do there is to always look at what did we learn from when this happened last time? Now, obviously, in the modern age, we've never had a COVID-19 type of pandemic that's been this wide scale. So we don't want to let history repeat itself. I always recommend document all your lessons learned and educate people as they come into your organization, okay? So what did we learn when this happened? There's a lot of different things. So you might have a new generation of folks coming out of college, entering the workforce in the next 10, 15, 20 years. We have to remember how COVID affected the supply chain and make sure we educate these folks from our own real world experiences on what worked and what didn't work. All right, the next quote. Companies are looking to recruit people who can who can drive innovative supply chain strategies, says Reynolds. That's who the article was uh, referencing who was interviewed. But it certainly is a challenge finding the right talent and leadership. Supply chain leaders are going to extreme lengths trying to attract smart people, including scouting, scouting across industries. They are trying to build talent one way or another, he said. This is great as well. And the reason I picked this one is because I just finished up my three-part series on hiring in freight brokerage, how to grow your business. And this goes a step broader when it, it doesn't have to be just a freight broker. This could be a trucking company, a full supply chain services type of firm, whatever it might be. It could be any kind of industry regardless, right? I'm a, I'm a big advocate and proponent of hiring at the right time because there is a, a large risk in hiring too early and an even worse risk at hiring too late. So having a business plan and knowing when the right time to hire is going to be a crucial and a key to your success. So hiring too early, right? You're not going to have the funds or the resources to pay them or more importantly, work for them to do and keep them happy. 
you hire too late, you've already got too much work, and now you're just trying to back paddle real quick, get bodies in seats, and it doesn't work that way. So when it comes to reopening the economy right now and expanding the workforce in a lot of these logistics companies, you're going to see a big pool of candidates in July next month when the unemployment additional money, the $600 a week comes that comes from the federal government, when that drops off, I think it's middle of July, you're going to see a lot of people lining up looking for jobs right then because some people are saying, oh, I'm making more money on unemployment than I would if I was actually working my job for 15 bucks an hour. Well, that's going to end. Okay, I don't foresee that personally getting extended any longer with the economy reopening. So making sure you have a plan in place of when to hire, whether it's a brand new business or if you're going through a growth spurt or if you have an economic downturn, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, and now you're seeing an increase in business, make sure you're hiring at the right time so you're not stuck in a bind with not enough people to do the job to make your company successful and uh, operational. All right, and the last quote is, quote, the primary focus is, is on how to reduce that overall cycle time while also keeping it cost effective. By reducing the number of decisions, also called stage gates, that need to be made within operations, products can be got through the supply chain at a very rapid pace, reducing the possibility of disruption, says Reynolds, end quote. All right, so I always say this, as a freight broker, or as a supply chain manager, or as, a, as an account manager for a brokerage on a specific customer, your job overall falls into the realm of being a logistician. We are problem solvers as logisticians, okay? You can't just expect for business to come and for it to easily just happen, okay? It is more than just that. Our job as logisticians is to be, to be problem solvers, and that includes giving options with a, you know, with different costs associated with them. Do a business analysis. If you just go to your customer with one solution, well, somebody else might go to them with a better solution. So maybe you go with three different solutions. Hey, I can get it moved this way. It'll cost this much. Here's the pros and cons. Or I can move it this way. It's going to cost you a little bit more, but it's going to get there a lot faster. And there's going to be a very, very low risk of any kind of damages or claims on it. Or here's a super cheap option. It'll take longer. You take a little bit more risk on it. You know, there's a whole lot of options you can give somebody as an account manager, or as a freight broker. The, the whole point here is to make sure that you're giving options, have that cost analysis, do that business analysis with your customer. That makes you a huge problem solver. It just shows your value add. You're putting yourself on display as why you are a valuable asset to them. So great article by Freight Waves. They're always putting out great content. That one's from earlier this week. Check out the show notes. There's a link in there to read the whole thing. Uh, I, I got up through about a third of it, but there's some other stuff filtered in there in between that really dig into that interview. All right, next topic here, LTL. I want to talk about what it is, how it works, how they price it, what does it mean for brokers, and all that stuff, all right? I don't have, you know, I don't have a whole week here to do a podcast all on LTL, which is about how long I'd need to, to dig into everything on it, but I wanted to highlight and hit on some of the big topics here so you can have a little bit of a better understanding. If you got any feedback or questions on it that I didn't hit on here, send me a message, shoot me a a connection request on LinkedIn, or if you're already connected, just send me an inbox message and I'd be happy to chat with you further. So what is LTL? Well, LTL stands for less than truckload. In comparison to truckload, which uses a full truck, LTL is for shipments that are less than a full truckload. So in a nutshell, what happens is they take a bunch of different shipments going to a similar area and they'll put them all on the same truck and get them moved to that area. It's a little more complex than that. A lot of times it involves cross-docking and 
maybe that's on three different trucks or even more in some instances, but essentially you're taking multiple smaller shipments, combining them and getting them moved from pickup to delivery. All right, so there are a couple different definitions or phrases you might hear in LTL, such as a true LTL versus a volume LTL shipment. All right, so true LTL, depending on who you ask, is typically defined as five pallets or less. And when I talk about a pallet, that could be your standard 48 by 48 pallet with goods on it, okay? Um, and the same goes with any non-palletized goods that might just be brake bulk cargo that'll be loaded onto a truck. A volume LTL shipment is typically typically going to be somewhere between that true LTL size and a full truckload. So you're going to be taking up a bigger portion of a specific truck, but based on, and I'll get into it in a little bit on pricing, but based on where it's going and how much capacity they have in that specific shipping lane, the price could be more cost effective or it could be more costly depending on you know the capacity and the, and the time and season, what's going on there. So LTL uses a network of service centers throughout the country to get your goods from A to B. So for example, I used to work for Conway Freight, which is now XPO, and there were something like 250 or maybe close to 300 service centers located all over North America to service the customers of Conway. Now, what would happen is there's a there's kind of three phases to it, right? There's a local pickup, and then there's your reship, and then there's your local delivery. So what would happen is that LTL carrier, they typically use, instead of a full truck, they use two smaller 28-foot trucks, some kind, sometimes called pups. So they could use two, they can haul two pups, some places can haul three, but usually for your pickup and delivery, you're just gonna see a single truck, 28-foot pup, going to a facility to pick up a pallet or a number of pallets, all right? Now they will bring that back to the service center and it will be consolidated with other freight moving in a certain direction of the country. And overnight and throughout the next couple of days, depending on the specific lane, it'll be moved across the country through that company's network of service centers. And if it has to change trucks, it'll change trucks. And then eventually it gets to the final service center, which will then hit that third part, which is that local delivery. So you might see, for example, a pickup in Buffalo, New York, the truck would take the shipment to the Buffalo terminal, consolidate it with other freight going towards its destination. So let's say it's going to New York City, okay? You could have it put on a bunch of other, or put it on a truck with a bunch of other freight that's going in that direction, and it might go to Albany. And at Albany, it'll be offloaded and consolidated with all the freight going back to New York City, and then you'll have a driver drive it from Albany to New York City. When it gets to New York City, it'll be delivered to its final destination. Now, New York's a pretty bad example because they have a lot of restrictions with trucks being able to get through tunnels and bridges. So sometimes they use small cartage companies to do that final delivery. But either way, you get the gist of it, all right? If it's a longer shipment, maybe you're going from the Northeast to the Southwest, you might consolidate a bunch of stuff in one terminal and then package it all up on a third-party subservice carrier that might be a brokered load, full truck load, send it all the way out West with no stops, to, for example, Los Angeles or San Bernardino. And then from there, it can be delivered to its final point. All right, and I'll get into subservice in a second. That's part of being efficient. But overall, it's a network of service centers all owned by that company for the most part, all right? And it's moving on that company's trucks. Now, what do LTL companies do to be efficient, all right? There has been a lot of changes throughout the years and a lot of times 
depending on the company and who's in operational or sales type of leadership, they might look at different things to try and be more efficient as a company. So one couple of the things that I've seen in the past is to maximize the weight on a truck to make sure that or on the trailer so you can make sure you're maximizing its capability so it can scale correctly. And I've seen people also shift towards cubing off that trailer. So maybe you're not so worried about filling it up to as heavy as it can go, but let's fill up the space inside that trailer. Cube it out is what it's called. It's all about cube utilization. Another cool thing that they'll do is something called a VIA run and every company might call it something different. So like I mentioned, in a lot of locations around the States, you can haul two of these 28 foot trailers together legally. Now, what happens if you only have one of those full going to one city and maybe another city nearby also only has one trailer? Well, they might do what's called a via drop or something along those lines as far as terminology where let's say you've got two locations in a certain state and that driver, when they drive to that next terminal, they might drop one at one service center on the way or via their way to the final drop for the other trailer, right? That's another way to do it. So that way you're not requiring both trucks to go, or both trailers to go to the exact same place just to reroute it, or you're not sending empty trailers necessarily just to waste space and money. All right, subservice line haul, I mentioned this. So obviously LTL with all the stop and go and the cross docking can be very, very cost, very, very costly, very, very expensive. So subservice line hauling, which, like I mentioned, you would use a third-party full truckload if you've got enough freight going in that direction to move that, move those goods. You might have a load that gets brokered out to a full truckload carrier to move all your stuff from one big terminal to another big terminal. And this is a great way to reduce any additional mileage from stopping at service centers, the cross-docking risk of claims, OS and D for over, over short or damaged goods. All that stuff costs money. So subservice line hauling is where brokers a lot of time might see the opportunity to get involved in LTL indirectly. All right. Um, having drivers on a list for loads. So you might have, let's say you got 20 drivers that drive at nighttime in a certain terminal, moving all the stuff from that local terminal to the next place. Well, you might have a rule in place as an LTL company where we're going to bring folks in by seniority and folks at the bottom of the totem pole at the bottom of the totem pole might there might not be enough freight for them that night all right or that day and they got to call on and, and find out and they might be off that night they might just not be getting paid so using something like that it's almost like what contract labor does in certain situations it gives folks the ability to not overspend and pay a driver when that driver is not actually needed to move freight all right. Other examples are part-time dock workers, contract labor throughout peak seasons and things like that. Um, one of the, the good things about LTL companies is, is they're typically fairly large in size, so they have the ability to be flexible and change their business process and not have a huge impact overall on the overall operation. Now, let's take a look at pricing. All right. LTL pricing is fairly complex compared to full truckload. Right? It's not just A to B looking at capacity. You're looking at the weight of the specific shipment, what freight class is it, what zip code is it picking up in, and where is it going, what are the dimensions of it. So that's looking at the cube. Uh, and then they have these things called discounts in LTL pricing where they might offer, like, hey, we'll give you a 70% discount if you go through us. And, you know, the other guys are only giving you 70% or, you know, 80% or 60% or whatever the case might be. Um, it's tricky, though, because discounts, it's the question, you know, what is the true starting point there? It gets kind of complex. So, um, but overall, there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's a lot of smart people and a lot of technology and a lot of computing that gets done and some algorithms that figure out 
what it really costs. It all truly does come back to supply and demand though. So if there's a specific shipping lane that it needs to be filled up because they are historically or recently sort of empty or they have some availability, you're gonna find it a little bit cheaper to ship in that lane. Uh, naturally, if it's heavier or if it's bigger in size, bigger cube, right? It's gonna cost you more because you're taking up more of the asset, whether it's the legal weight or the actual space inside that trailer. Freight class is, is very related to density, which is gonna deal with both dimensions and the weight overall. So they're all factored in together. I don't personally know the algorithm or how it works. Uh, I have some experience in it, but not an expert, so I won't even dig too much into it. But that's how pricing works, and it's not usually negotiable, all right? You might have a sales rep in an LTL company that is able to move the, move the needle a little bit. They might have to go to their sales director or something like that. Um, when you get into brokering LTL loads, you definitely have some room for negotiation, and I'll hit on that towards the end here. All right, so speaking of which, brokerage, right? So when you look at brokering LTL loads, because there's two ways to do this, right? You could have a, a, a customer that works directly with an LTL company. LTL companies typically have their own sales reps. Because of the amount of capacity that they typically have, they can afford to have a sales rep dedicated just to a specific customer, all right? Brokerage comes into play when a brokerage company as a as a whole can offer such a high volume of business to an LTL company to keep their trucks loaded, they have that buying power to negotiate even better rates than a company would on their own. So when looking at LTL overall, it's very, very price driven. So typically we know that the, the shipping time is usually gonna be the same regardless of which carrier you're gonna use, right? So if you're gonna use FedEx or XPO or UPS, all right, or whatever, there's gonna be a fairly standard or similar transit time when it comes to using those big name companies from the same zip code to the other same zip code because they usually have service centers in all the big locations, okay? Now, for a customer, there's not a whole lot of other value add you can do with LTL. It's really, really price driven, okay? So they're gonna say, well, my one pallet's gonna get there in three days regardless of company, so let's just find the cheapest one we can use, okay? Now, that being said, there is definitely a thing, uh, or there's definitely a point to be said that there's a reputation that certain carriers have. For example, I don't wanna call anybody out here, but I've heard this many, many times in the years that I've been doing this. For example, a company might say, what prices can you do for me? Pro quote out all the top carriers. I don't want a price for central transport. They've damaged my goods too many times, okay? You might have a bad experience with a certain company in the customer's perspective. So you'll get feedback as far as the reputation of that specific carrier, all right? So make sure that when you're pricing this stuff out, you're looking at what the customer wants and making sure they know which carrier is gonna do it, all right? Uh, margin, so we've talked about it in the past, brokerage margins on full truck load tend to be somewhere between 15 and 20%. LTL, because it costs less overall because it's a smaller shipment, you typically find a higher margin percentage on your gross profits for brokerage. So I've seen upwards of 40 to 50% on small shipments, but more like 20 to 30% on some of those larger shipments. Um, it all depends and it's all gonna change based on shipping volumes, capacity overall, and all that same stuff that goes along with full truckload. But naturally, because it's a smaller sh uh, shipment size and price point, you're gonna have a higher margin percentage, even though the dollar amount of that margin is likely going to be lower. Things to consider with 
LTL as a broker that you might not be used to in full truckload. And I know we've discussed this in the past, but reways, reclass, and accessorial charges are the three ones I wanted to hit on. So reway, what does that mean? Well, obviously, like I said, pricing is very dependent on the weight and the freight class and the dimensions and all that stuff. If the inspector on the dock at the LTL company, because they do have weight and inspection folks that are typically employed on the docks there, if your customer says this weighs 600 pounds, that's going to be a red flag. If you have a very even broad number like that, they're probably going to say, eh, it was probably a guess. So a lot of the forklifts have Bluetooth scales built in, and you might have a weight and inspections person that's just driving around reweighing a bunch of stuff, okay? They might say, well, it's actually 633 pounds. That actually increases our rate, okay? And a lot of times they can add a ton of extra margin in there and extra profit because they catch the folks that are misleading them when they get their pricing. Same goes with reclass. You might say, uh, well, this is class 300, and it might actually be a different class, okay? Class is very, very important to have accurate when you're getting a quote for LTL for your customer because that class is going to be directly impacting the cost, okay? So those inspections people will do the same thing. They can pop open some boxes on the pallet, look at what's in there on the packing list, or actually inspect the specific shipment items and determine this is actually a different class, all right? And again, that'll change the pricing. Why do customers continue to do that? when they get dinged, well, they don't catch every single instance of it. So if they get away with it half the time, it's worth it half the time in their eyes. Is it ethical? Different discussion. Does it, does it save them money? Yes. All right, ask the store charges. So things like re requesting or requiring a lift gate or a driver unload or going to a residential place. All this stuff can add additional costs. You might just add 25 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever it is. Every carrier is a little bit different on their accessories, but these are all different than your standard dock-to-dock -dock full truckload shipments because think about it, if you order, just as a regular individual, if you order a big, let's say a big auto part, right, getting shipped to your house, one of your options might be to ship it freight, which is another way of saying LTL. So, you're gonna require a lift gate on the back of that truck to actually be able to take it down off the back instead of just pushing it up to a dock and loading it off of the forklift. So that additional requirement has an additional cost. You need to understand all the accessorials and make sure that your customer is giving you correct information on what the actual pickup and delivery requirements are. So that's accessorials, reways, and reclass. Just a few closing tips here on LTL. All right, obviously it is a little bit more complex than full truckload, right? You've got multiple stops, multiple touches, you've got reways, reclasses, you've got di different dimensions for pricing, weights for pricing, shipping lanes, true LTL, volume, all this stuff, all right? So learn it from an expert, just like brokerage in general, you wanna learn from someone who's been doing it and is very, very good at this trade, okay? It's the best way to learn. You don't wanna learn just by trial and error because you're gonna lose customers. You don't wanna learn from the guy or girl who's not good at it because then you're gonna, you're gonna learn bad practices. Now, a great way to get started in it once you learn from somebody is marry that up with your truckload customers, right? You can start to introduce the ability to offer LTL services once you're comfortable and familiar with it. All right, so maybe they're moving three lanes with you a week truckload, but they might also have a handful of LTL shipments or maybe it's just every now and then. And if you do a good job at it, you'll be that go-to broker when it comes to those LTL shipments, all right? Another thing too, 
don't forget about the option to do it partial instead of LTL. So if you've got a shipment that looks like, oh, this might be a volume LTL shipment, let me call up and get my rate on volume for this. Well, also look at the partial market in that specific lane. It might be cheaper. Don't forget that you're not restricted or bound to use LTL just because it's not a full truckload. All right. Another thing is to have options. So as a broker, right, if you're running a brokerage or you're an agent or you're an employee for a brokerage, have options for your LTL companies. So if you want to go direct to the carrier, right, make sure you're looking at XPO and YRC and UPS and FedEx and all the other big all the big national and the regional LTL carriers in that area. There's something like, I think, probably 20 to 30 big national slash regional LTL carriers that are going to be um, usually fairly reliable. So make sure you're pricing all of them out. Another option is a co-brokered LTL agreement. And this is a little bit more complex. Typically, your company's going to have to set that up. But let's say you're a uh, licensed broker or you work for a brokerage or you're an agent for a brokerage and you focus on truckload. Well, there's some really good companies out there that offer LTL services and they've got really, really good rates when it comes to that. So with a cost plus model, they could take their discount and still market up a number of percentage points and you're going to get a cheaper rate through them by co-brokering the deal through them than if you did it direct to the carrier yourself. That's all about buying power. So have a lot of options, whether it's direct to the LTL carrier or through a co-brokered LTL agreement with some of the other big companies. All right. Now, when you've got a rep at an LTL company or through one of those co-brokered agreements, have a great relationship with the sales rep that you're, or account rep that you're working with, okay? Now, some people have a three-hour response time when you email them. Some people never answer the phone. And some people are very, very good, and they'll respond to you in five minutes and give you a price that's a lot better than what you can get through their pricing system, okay? Sometimes they just have online systems, putting your dimensions, zip to zip, all that good stuff, and it'll spit out a price with different carriers um, or for that specific carrier. Well, if you call them up and you say, hey, I've actually got to be like 15 bucks lower, they might work with you. So don't just stop at the first price that you see. There is a little wiggle room when it comes to this LTL stuff. Having options, building a good relationship with those reps is going to really, really help you in succeeding with getting your margin up on those. Now, like I mentioned, ask for pricing that works for you. Just don't take what you see. So if you see, like I said, a price online and you know that historically, you know, other companies are doing it for cheaper, call that person up, like I said, let them know, hey, I can get it through the same carrier at a cheaper rate through this company. Let them know that. Give them feedback. That's going to strengthen your relationship overall with that person. So that is LTL in a nutshell. Very high level view, but there's a lot of good points of discussion there. So if you're looking to get into LTL, like I said, definitely try to learn from someone who's an expert at it. You want to you want to learn from the best, right? You don't want to learn from someone who's just new at it or you definitely just don't want to take a stab at it without having any experience, okay? LTL in a nutshell, it's definitely a great way to make some extra money, get an additional volume out of your customers, but there's a lot that goes into it and there's a big learning curve. But I definitely recommend when you're comfortable and ready for it, give it a shot. All right, let's wrap it up with some trending and social media here. Uh, I've got two things I wanted to hit on today. The first one was a post from Nemo. Nemo posted a, it was essentially like a meme with just a picture with some words on it. And it said, there are approximately 1.2 million trucking companies in the United States. But then he added his own comment and said, well, 97% of those operate 20 or less trucks and 90% of those are at six or less trucks. So I like this post from Nemo and I've hit on this a lot in the past. 
A lot of times people think, oh, there's so many trucking companies out there. They're all so big. They have all got a bunch of trucks. And that's usually a misnomer from uh, or a misunderstanding from a lot of newer brokers that are still learning the industry. It is very important to know statistics. And when you see a carrier, just because they have a, a good sounding name or something like that, or they say we operate in this many states, well, vet them out. Figure out how long have they been in business? Where are they actually operating on a regular basis? How many assets do they truly have? How many drivers do they truly have? FMCSA is a great way. You can do a safety snapshot, company snapshot, see how they're working and what the latest reported is on that specific carrier. Um, understand that capacity and those the spokes that they actually operate in around their terminals is huge. And on top of that, trucking companies that have multiple terminals is gonna be even better for you. All right, good post there by Nemo. Jared. Jared asked a question on Facebook. He said, what is a fair split between brokers and their firm? Uh, there's, I would say there's probably two answers to this. Uh, if you're an agent, that's one answer. And if you're an employee, that's another answer. All right? if, you are, if you own your own brokerage, this doesn't really apply to you. Okay? But let's look at agents. Right? There is, I've, seen, I've seen 50%, 60%. 70%. I've seen people do 75%. You know, it, I would say industry standard is, is roughly around 70%. It really all depends on what they're offering you though, okay? Because there are companies that will give you only 60%, but they might be offering you a lot more that you need for your business. And at the end of the day, we get paid in dollars and cents, not percentage amounts, okay? So if you can make $150,000 in commission at a 60% split because you're getting the, the back office and the support that you need operationally, right? And you can only make $100,000 in commission at 70%, well, there you go. The numbers don't lie, okay? Uh, I would say 70 is about average though. But definitely make sure if you're looking at a commission split, you understand what you are getting for giving up that other percentage to the company, all right? Financial backing is a big part of it. Operational support. Do they have a carrier sales dispatching team? What are their hours of operation? How quick can you get credit? What does their carrier network look like? All kinds of stuff. Technology, there's a lot that goes into it, all right? Typically, the more that they offer in commission, over 70%, you're probably going to start losing something there because at the end of the day, these companies got to stay profitable. They're not just going to give money away for no reason. Uh, if you're an employee, I've hit on this one before in the past. There's actually a, a bit of research done on it. It depends on your base, but typically you're going to see probably somewhere between 10 to 20% of gross profit paid out to you in addition to a weekly base pay or salary or an hourly rate, depending on what you're doing. And that's if you're doing the actual brokerage sales part of it, not just dispatching. Um, great question though, Jared. I am curious to see how commissions and offerings change over time because we've seen them change a lot over the past years as, as things have gotten more efficient and as more offerings have been able to be given by certain companies. So curious to see how that looks. So final thoughts here, right? This is episode number 40. That means that for Roughly nine months now, I've been putting out great content here. I appreciate all the listens. All right. As always, if you have any specific questions or comments, feedback, let me know. And if you're looking for an agent opportunity yourself, also let me know. All right. I'm happy to talk to you about what's out there, what's available, what companies offer what, and try to get you the best possible opportunity. All right. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining and make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. 
Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that I referenced on this episode and feel free to add and message me on LinkedIn for suggestions for future topics. See you on the next episode.